Hey. Hello. How are you? Pretty good. Good. Sorry it took a while. There was a rock opera in the bathtub. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like some kind of mermaid war and lots of singing. Sounds perfect. Let me do a few little ones. I have a few that are real little, real short. Can I do those? Yeah. Okay. Most of the stuff I got tonight is from your cat catalog. You're a cat. Um, U-R-E-C-A-T catalog. Yes. All right. This one, uh, October 1975, American Falls, Idaho. SUFOs, C-U-F-O's, is said to have in their file a case in American Falls, Idaho, on late October 1975 at 6.25 a.m. The witness had been lying in bed with her husband, who was asleep, when she heard noises in the living room. Moments later, a short figure stood at the bedroom door. It was described as four feet tall, humanoid, with large pointed ears, normal eyes and nose, and completely covered with short hair. It looked puzzled and was breathing very heavy, at times making gurgling noises. The witness closed her eyes, then opened them again to find the figure standing by the bed staring at her. The witness panicked and attempted to find her husband's gun, who remained sleeping. The creature then walked to the mirror, looked at itself, scratched his chin, and walked out of the bedroom. The witness remained in bed and did not see how the creature left the house. Did I do that one last week? Oh my God. No, I? no, <laughs> no. I, it's, it's funny. Goblin uh, on the people in the bed. Okay. But um, it, it made me think of, um, uh, we've heard that a few times with the gargling noise. It, and that always sticks out to me because it's like, why would, that be a thing but it is you know yeah all right here's another short one this one is 1910 violetville maryland which is right outside of baltimore city like right outside um several decades after the sightings date ufologists ted blocher and tom p dooley separately recorded the testimony of lawrence j crone who was only five, five or six or four or seven years old, depending on the later versions. In the summer of 1910, when he allegedly experienced a close encounter of a third kind one morning, he told that in Violetville, now a Baltimore suburb, at a baseball field, he saw a blimp-shaped or cigar-shaped object, brown, of metallic appearance, approximately 100 feet in length or twice the length of a railroad car. 
with covered with an oscillating motion over pine trees located 200 feet away from him. The craft had a line of rectangular glass looking windows of various colors. Through one of these windows, which was transparent, he saw occupants who looked at him or looked out. They had heads and necks like pigeons. Oh God. <laughs> with pointed heads or pointed helmets, no nose, no ears, a slit for a mouth, and two round spots or holes for eyes on their flat, chinless faces. They seemed covered with a soft-looking gray or light-colored gown, like fur. That's pretty, oh. that's pretty hot. <laughs> yeah. I'll let someone to draw that one for me. <laughs> Um, several groups of two or three of them came in turn to look at the outside from the window. It is estimated that they were about twenty. There were about twenty of them overall, and he even called, uh, pointed out the ship to the attention of two other children who looked and saw it, and then the ship glided away. Wow, that's pretty. Pretty pretty awesome, right? That's a good one. Pigeons yeah. with furry gray gowns. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I okay, love the, the ones <laughs> like that where um um they you see the occupants and you're close enough to see them looking out in at the you. in the window. Yeah, That's so freaky. Um, That's great. Okay. And then one more little one. Okay. The other stuff I have longer. Um, okay. 1978, March, Middlebrook, Virginia. An article by David Fidler in the Sensationalist Magazine Saga UFO Report in August 1978 rep reportedly tells that in Middlebrook, Virginia, on late March 1978 in the evening, Seven electric power employees driving across an open pasture on their way to repair a power line noticed a tall, hairy, Bigfoot-type creature standing in the middle of the field. The creature suddenly dashed towards the edge of the nearby woods, seeming to glide instead of running. Yeah. The creature briefly stopped to look at the men, and they noticed that it carried something to its chest resembling a red flashlight and oh. then disappeared into the woods. I sent you that one. <laughs> I love those. Like the red flashlight. I know. <laughs> God, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I got one. Uh, hey. Hey. What do you got? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Near Rivesville, West Virginia, 1968, July. Jennings H. Frederick had been hunting unsuccessfully for woodchuck, and as the sun was setting, he decided to return home. Near his father's property line, he stopped under some maple trees. He removed the arrow from his 45-pound bow and transferred both to his left hand to rest his arm. As he paused, he heard a high-pitched jabbering, much like that of a tape recording running at exaggerated speed. 
he believed he could understand the words, but he may have experienced telepathic communication. You need not fear me. I wish to communicate. I come as a friend. We know of you all. I come in peace. I wish medical assistance. I need your help. Stunned and puzzled, he reached with his right arm for a handkerchief in his hip pocket to wipe perspiration. He winced. At first, he thought his hand had become entangled in a wild berry briar, and he quickly withdrew his arm. Attached to his wrist was what looked like a thin, flexible right hand and arm of a green color like a plant in the size of a quarter coin in diameter. The hand, which terminated with three fingers about seven inches long and with needle-like tips and suction cups, grasped his arm more tightly and punctured a blood vessel. He heard a suction sound and knew blood was being drawn. Frederick turned to see a terrifying being with semi-human facial features, though there the resemblance ended. Its slanting eyes were yellow, and it had pointed ears. Its body reminded him of the stalk of some huge plant, though it had remarkable physical power, coupled with the hypnotic effect the sing-song message imparted. He cried out in pain from the incisions and fright. Suddenly, the eyes changed from yellow to red and seemed to rotate, and spinning orange circles emerged from them. His pain immediately ceased as the eyes created what obviously was a hypnotic effect, and he froze in his trucks, though his terror had also vanished. Frederick isn't sure, but he believes the transfusion lasted only about a minute, after which the creature suddenly released him, turned and ran up the hill in great leaping jumps, covering 25 feet or more in each leap, Mm. like a modern-day spring hill jack. He estimated the height of the leaps by noting it cleared a five-foot fence with about three feet to spare. At the hilltop, it vanished into the woods. The pain in his arm returned as he stared in the direction of the creature's spectacular exit. Then he heard a humming and whistling sound coming from the woods, as if the saucer the creature may have arrived in was taking off. He stumbled to his home and washed the wounded arm and put a bandage on it. Though the wound convinced him that he was sane and had actually experienced the horror, he doubted that anybody else would believe him. So he told his family he had been scratched by a briar and didn't see a doctor for fear of disclosure. (laughs) Wow. I like the eyes. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Like a plant. That's cool. I know. (laughs) I know. Do you want to do another one? Um, Yeah, sure. I was looking for something. Just just thinking about it. Yeah, that's reading that. I have a couple in my stack that have a yeah, um, like needles being used. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, um, I'll go ahead and tell this one. Okay. The this was so cool. I listened to old Art Bell today 
and it was like the year 2000 when he had it was the day Terrence McKenna died and he had Brad Steiger on and I was like oh my god like the best you know oh they're so good and uh this woman called in and she had the greatest story I know you'll love this because you love when this happens when they different witnesses see different things yeah (laughs) yeah so she it's like 1972 and there's like five or six teenagers on their way to a moody blues concert okay and they're they're not on drugs or anything and um so they're in traffic on their way to the show um like a car full of five or six people and um the at the time, this was a teenage girl who called, you know, who witnessed it. All teenagers. And um, they are in traffic. And for some reason, they all just seem to look over at this dude in his car next to him. And it's like an older guy. And the guy turns and looks at him. And an orange ball of light shoots out of his chest and grows the it uh, expands and he dissolves into nothingness. So this orange ball of light just shoots out of this guy's chest and um, all they see is a bright flash of light. And they're all like, oh my God, you know what happened? (laughs) And uh, um, she said they talked about it forever, you know, like what, what did we see? What happened? Trying to make sense of it. And her friend who was right next to her said, yeah, but it wasn't orange. It was white. And I thought that Ah. was so cool. Yeah. I mean, just a little detail, but still. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it goes back to, um, huh? Yeah. What you got? All right, let's see. June 1914, Spike Island, County Cork, Ireland. The author of the fairy book reportedly indicated that in Spike Island, Cork Harbor, Ireland, in June 1914, in the afternoon, a six-year-old girl walking along a path located next to the sea absorbed in her absorbed in her pastime with her eyes mostly on the ground looked up when she was about five yards away from the wall of a local doctor's house and saw something bizarre a strange figure was looking over uh, across the harbor she walked a few more steps nearer before she realized what it was and then she froze with fear It was not more than 10 paces away and she could see it clearly. It must have been very tall creature because she could almost see it to its waist and the wall was at least five foot high. It was in the rough shape of a human being. That is, it had a head and shoulders and arms, though she did not see the hands which were behind the wall. It had two dark caverns for eyes. The rest was one color a sort of glistening yellow. Um, 
as the wall was parallel to the road and on her left, the thing was looking past across the harbor. As the girl stood petrified, the thing began to turn its head very slowly toward her. At this point, the young witness heard a voice in her ear, if it looks straight at you, you will die. Oh, God. <laughs> her feet seemed to be anchored to the ground by heavy weights, but somehow she managed to turn and run. She ran into a nearby cottage about 15 yards away. And her next memory was of Mrs. Riley, the owner of the cottage, sponging her face with water as she shook all over with shock and terror. She told Mrs. Riley that she had seen something dreadful in the doctor's garden. And Mrs. Riley told her that she was not the first to see it and would not be the last. Huh? Wow. <laughs> if it looks at, directly at you, you will die. You will die. <laughs> that, that's funny. Um, remember the Joe Simonton pancake case? Yes. Yes. Um, I went back because I fucking love that story. And uh, I um, yesterday watched all the video interviews or all the film interviews with him back in the that, 60s. Uh-huh. And it was about five or six people had interviewed him. It was all put together. And uh, he was such a cool guy. You know, he's just an old farmer. Right. And just matter of fact, you know, and he said, uh, uh, detail that I never realized or didn't pick up on or, or wasn't reported in the uh, mm -hmm. reports in the the what I read, blah, blah. I don't know why I can't express Say it. <laughs> but I, um, he said that when the saucer came down and he went and was communicating with the guy that the guy had a really intense hypnotic stare and it was so intense. He had to look away. Oh, and he said, even when he, um, went to fill up the bucket of water and come back outside, it was so intense. He would not look the guy in the eyes. Wow. Yeah. It was, yeah. It, it's pretty heavy, but, um, yeah, I just thought that was a good detail with the, yeah, that is. And, and you know, that was, uh, I can't remember where I heard it, but supposedly that was um, uh, some of the Native American tribes thing with the Bigfoot. Uh huh. They were like, don't look it in the don't eye. Don't look it in the eye. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty intense. I, I bet um that applies to the fade too i bet that's been said about the fade too Don't but, come in the eye. yeah that's the know. episode title yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right uh -huh. um let's see where the one okay um this is buff ledge Lake Champlain, Vermont, August 7th, 1968. Okay. And another one at sunset. Um, during their tenure as summer camp employees, Michael Lapp, a 16-year-old maintenance man and 19-year-old water ski instructor, Janet Cornell, 
were relaxing at a boat dock on a slack day. On this particular August afternoon, the swim team had made a trip to Burlington to compete in a meet, and the camp was virtually deserted. Late in the afternoon, the two friends were enjoying the view of the sun setting over the water when a bright light appeared in the darkening sky. Michael thought they were being treated to a beautiful close-up view of the planet Venus. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the glowing light began to move downward and ever closer mm-hmm. to Michael and Janet. The object at first around glow now began to flatten out as it approached even closer. Michael shouted, wow, Venus is falling. As the two <laughs> steadfastly watched the light, three smaller lights seemed to drop from the larger one, which quickly moved up and disappeared from sight. The three smaller objects moved over the lake. They were obviously under intelligent control. The objects put on a type of show for Michael and Janet, doing zigzag maneuvers, loops, and then descended like falling leaves. The three objects now moved even closer to the two baffled teenagers. After forming a triangle, two of the objects pulled back. Michael would later recall a sound like a thousand tuning forks when the two left, Mm -hmm. leaving a single craft behind. The lone UFO passed over Michael and Janet and then shot upward and momentarily disappeared. It very soon reappeared tilted to one side and dropped into the lake. A couple of minutes seemed to pass before the object reemerged from the water and began gliding straight toward them. The object was now close enough to see a transparent dome occupied by two childlike creatures. Michael would describe the beings as having elongated necks, big heads, and no hair. Their eyes were also large and extended around the side of their heads. Michael began to sense a kind of communication with the two beings. Watching them intently, Michael slapped his knee, and to his surprise, one of the occupants mimicked his movement. The craft now moved overhead and shot a beam directly at Michael and Janet. Grabbing Janet's shoulder, Michael pulled both of them on their backs on the dock. (laughs) Frightened by being kidnapped, Michael remembers screaming, we don't want to go. Mm-hmm. The light from the beam was so bright that Michael recalls being able to see the bones in his hand. Oh. The two teenagers both related that the beam had a liquid feeling to it and gave them the sense of floating. Their next conscious thoughts would be that of staring at the object again from the dock. The sky was now totally black and Michael wondered how long he had been in this one spot. Looking at Janet, Michael could see that she was in a trance-like state, drowsy and disoriented. The UFO now moved upward into the black sky, flashed its light beam repeatedly, and then vanished from sight. Strangely, Michael and Janet did not discuss what had happened to them. After Mm -hmm. summer camp, they both went their separate ways. Years later, under regressive hypnosis... Michael vividly recalled his experiences that August night of 1968. He remembered how the beam of light lifted him into the craft's interior, how he entered a bigger craft, and how he saw Janet lying on a table being examined. The small beam shone a light into her eyes, scraped her skin, and took fluids from her body. Michael recalled that the aliens were very similar to each other. 
They have large eyes, a mouth without, without lips, no ears, and two small openings for a nose. He also described the beings as having three-pointed web-like digits for fingers, and their mm-hmm. bodies felt damp and clammy. The aliens related to Michael that their mission was to make life like ours in other places. Jana also underwent the regression. She recalled feeling cold on the table with something pulling her hair and pinching her neck. Other camp employees reported seeing UFOs over the lake around the same time. And that was from the Walter Webb MUFON Journal number 241. But this was from the Rosales database. Nice. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I keep coming back to, and I probably said this a million times, Mm-hmm. But um, Zelia Edgar's book mm-hmm. is so goddamn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, just another tenfold hat. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I keep coming back to her um, conclusions. And uh, at the end of the uh, book, um, she she talks about how um you know in so many of these cases there's two prevalent things light and noise Uh there's there's like the introduction to the to the high strangeness is either kicked off with light or sound in in almost every case and it, it for me that i don't know that one thing is just fascinating to me Right. It's like, or it's uh, both. But yeah, it's like Right. Right. It just it just um and and you know, going back to probably my favorite podcast, Where Did the Road Go? Uh mm-hmm. he always he mentions that a lot. He even mentioned that the latest episode, which was fantastic. Um he talks about the light. The light is the prevalent thing in all of this. Yes. You know. And, uh, um, yeah, have you listened to the latest episode? Uh, probably, which it, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, I, I'm so unprepared, but the uh, yeah, the guy's excellent, I'm gonna buy his book. But they talked about, um, the um, the balls of light and stuff, mm-hmm. and and it was really good i mean it was really good so much of what they talked about lined up with my experience right that right. it was like oh my god yeah so there was so many little things i need to listen again and take notes and we'll talk about it because it was really good okay <laughs> i have since you brought that up i have a small one here let's see um august okay. 30th 1978 union county indiana Apparently coming from the files of ufologist Don Borley, a short summary says that on August 30th, 1978, at approximately 11.45 p.m. in Union County, Indiana, a woman drove on State Road 44 in a valley close to a bridge. When she saw ahead, low above the road, an orange egg-shaped object accompanied by four smaller orange-red objects 
of squarish appearance. Light reportedly suddenly engulfed her car and she does not remember anything of what occurred then until she found herself driving approximately five miles further on the road. At home, she was reportedly troubled mentally and reportedly discovered two puncture wounds on her buttocks and small pieces of one does not know what mid chest. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, there's lights, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Gotta watch those lights. Yeah. Oh god, I, I gotta tell you something else. Huh? The, um so you know I've been going through those old newspapers. Yes. And one of the coolest rabbit holes I went down was um the Halloween stuff. You know, the right. old the old ads for masks. And I, I just love that stuff. I know I've been using them for art therapy. <laughs> oh, I know. They're so great. And um, um, and I have so much of it saved. But um, anyway, one of my ideas, like, I was I was like, we need to do a zine of mm. all the Halloween stuff. And, and, and I was sitting there the other day. I was like, I think somebody's done that. And I started looking. And they're some fucking genius. They run a, a I've um, read one of their zines before and they do great stuff. They're on Instagram. They're called Groovy Doom. Uh-huh. And they have done eight issues of a Halloween zine called Haunt. And it's full of, of, these, of the Is of it? the old ads put together and um artwork and i fucking ordered every issue I was like, nice. <laughs> I, I was like it, it looks so great and um so i'll let you know how that is i yeah i paid like 35 bucks for all eight issues i was like yeah nice. you deserve it. <laughs> hey it's spooky season definitely i got I um, that's what i said it's, it's i got um two t-shirts come in i got the new monsters among us because it's you know it's it's, it's a fantastic bigfoot, shirt bigfoot chucking jack-o'-lanterns yeah yeah it's <laughs> great artwork i love it yeah good <laughs> we survived yeah we did it i have a whole bunch more stuff i'm saving for next time okay good i got a thing things are weird um I got a big Halloween article that I'm saving for next time too. Okay. All it, right. It digs, it goes back into the um, um, history and stuff, but it's stuff we haven't heard before. So I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We'll wrap it up. Yep. We'll be back. Yep. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.